What's going on, everybody? Drew Sanford here with the Bass Fishing Underground Podcast. We, uh, we've we got a special guest here today, Randy Blanket, and we are excited to have him. We've suckered him in. This is our first podcast that we're doing, so I've, I was able to at least sucker somebody that knows what they're doing in here with me today to, to keep the bar held high. <laughs> well, I feel honored to be the first guest, man. That's exciting. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, Randy, you've been in this industry a long time. How many years have you been a pro fisherman? Since I well, actually the fall of 1985 was my first season with bass. I mean, I fished, you know, like the it was actually back then it was the old Redmans or BFLs. Now I fished that for a couple of years before that. So since 1985, basically. Gotcha. When did you graduate high school? Uh, 1980. So 1980. So you came out of school, fished the BFLs, Redmans at the time. Mm-hmm. What What was the next step up from Redman? I, you know, I was in school, I was going to college at the time, so I was fishing a lot of the buddy tournaments, that type of stuff, and, you know, the, the old Redman tournaments, and uh, after I made, I qualified for the All-American in 1984, and after I got a taste of what that was like, you know, I was like, man, I want to do this, and I wanted to do it for a long time, but um, I spent the next year and a half working, at, working just odd jobs, doing what I can to save up enough money to fish the Bassmaster Invitationals. Because back then, that's all there was. There was just six invitationals. That was that was the pro circuit. There wasn't anything else. Wow. Yeah. And that's how all the Bassmaster Classic qualifiers came from. So, uh, saved. I think I saved up something like three thousand dollars. You know, which bankrolled me for the year. It was only six. <laughs> you were hood rich. Yeah, it was only six hundred dollars. <laughs> I still lived in my mom and dad's basement, so it was only six hundred dollar entry at the time. Yeah. Got real fortunate. Qualified for the Bassmaster Classic my rookie year, wow. and that sort of just. Set the stage. How did the points work back then? It was a back then. It was a combination of uh, points and pounds. It's like you know you had you could qualify either or. (laughs) So um, I think that I got in on points that first year, and they took they took the top thirty five, and I finished thirty third. So I barely squeaked (laughs) in. It was so funny. We were at Lake Chickamauga the last day of the season down there, and I was on the bubble for making it. And I, and I was watching the weights. I was in the last flight and a couple of buddies of mine said, man, you got, you're going to have to have, you know, three pounds and a half, three and a half pounds to make it. And I had one, I only had three fish and they were all 12 inchers that, you know, I mean, all three of them. <laughs> We've barely, all been there, maybe not to make the classic, yeah. but. <laughs> and I knew that I needed all three of them. And I had one of them in there that just, it would touch one in second and wouldn't touch the next second. And I've, you know, it went, I went ahead and went through with it, and the guy put it on the bump board like that, didn't even look at it twice, <laughs> wound up barely squeaking. And if that fish hadn't measured, I wouldn't have made it. Probably would not have stayed in the sport because I had just was broke, and it was just sort of meant to be. One know? 12-inch bass. Yeah, that was the most important one. I, caught. I, caught, I remember I caught it on a Rapala minnow out on the main lake hump in Lake Chickamauga. I'll never forget that off a grass bed out there. So That's cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Well, fast forward now, 20, how many years? 25, 28 years? Man, 30. Over 30? 30. Oh, man, I can't 30, do math. Yeah, 30. 30 years. 30, 33 years. I was trying to spot you a couple is what yeah. I was trying to do. 33 years. So, you know, a lot's been said and talked about, and we don't need to rehash MLF, FLW, BASS, the, you know, all that type of stuff. But you were one of the guys that made a switch and said, I'm going to go a different direction. Mm-hmm. But you also put a lot of effort into your your podcast and some of the other things. And I think the fishing industry, you know, I own a boat dealership. We own a tackle store. We, you know, we're pretty heavily involved in the industry. It's really interesting watching some of these anglers that, you know, the, the marketing's evolving. You know, there's advertising and then there's 
um, marketing and, you know, how people put money in, you know, as, as owners, how they put money in or investors and in businesses, how they put money in towards anglers, things like that. And to me, it's so intriguing, the YouTube world, mm -hmm. the, the Facebook, social media, stuff like that. And the, which angles, you know, Brandon Polnick, you know, heavily going in on the social media mm -hmm. side, things like that. Um, you know, and, and you've, you've kind of gone that route. Talk a little bit about your thought process. You know, what was your thought process? I mean, you fished the tour for, since, since it started, yeah. is that fair to say? Yeah, since 1986, you know, I, I fished bass for 20 years and uh, made nine classics, uh, nine four-foot cups. And in 2005, um, that's when the Elite Series started. And all of us that were fishing in the top Elite 50 Series at the time, we got an invitation to fish the Elite Series. Mm -hmm. And I turned the invitation down in 2005 because there was a sponsor conflict. I was sponsored by Fujifilm through FLW. Mm -hmm. And they had a deal in there. Part of my contract is you couldn't advertise beer or tobacco. And part of our the deal with the Bassmaster Elite Series is they were sponsored by Bush. So you had to have a Bush oh. sticker. So I either had to lose my biggest sponsor, which was close to a six-figure deal, <laughs> or drop them completely and just go fish the Elite Series. So I had no choice. I had to, I had to stay with FLW. Biggest mistake of my life. Because it, FLW started going down the tubes the very next year. Bass started going uphill. But at the time, FLW was doing great. Bass was struggling. So it was one of those poor decisions that I'd made. And uh, as a result, after I made that decision, it was a struggle with FLW just to maintain some type of presence in the industry. Because yeah. we, didn't get this, we didn't get the marketing advantages that you had the Elite, Elite mm -hmm. Series. So a lot of these guys like myself and a lot of the Bassmaster guys that were fishing bass forever that stayed with FLW, our careers took a huge hit simply because we were not marketed like the Elite Series guys were. Yeah. So it was sort of one of those deals where some guys made the right decision and fell into it. Other guys like myself sort of got, you know, you know, to the short end <laughs> of the stick on it. Yeah. Always a winner and a loser. Yeah. What a, so there's peaks and valleys in the industry. Where are we? You know, if you said a state of the union right now of the industry, I mean, for sponsors, for fishing, I mean, I'm, you've, as many years as you've done this, you've seen the years that are good. You've seen the years that have struggled. Where do you think we are now? I mean, what, how does that pile up? Oh, man, that, that is such a massive question because we've got the, – the industry is not anything like it was 20 years ago, and it's all because of the advent of social media and it's the – the advent of so many circuits to fish. I mean, basically, you have there are so many tours out there. There are so many circuits. There are so many f anglers that are fishing the circuits that it's not like it was back when I started out in the '80s, where there were 35 pros. Everybody that made the classic. Those wow. that that you could you could actually define who is a pro angler. But now that's a gray area because anyone that fishes for money can be considered a pro angler. <laughs> so there's really no, is it, okay, is the best circuit the Bassmaster Elites? Is it the MLFs? Is it the, in out, what is it, the NFL, the new circuit? NPFL. Yeah, yep. anything. Yep. So from that standpoint, we're all over the place as far as the competitive series yeah. have. But the big thing that has changed, Drew, is the fact that this whole YouTube social media thing. I'll use an example. Look, Just look at Hank Cherry. Hank you know, won the Bassmasters Classic the last two years. Hank Cherry, you know, and obviously that's an, an unbelievable accomplishment. Yeah. Nobody can take Amazing. that away from him. That's I'm super impressed with it. But as far as from a marketing standpoint and a business perspective, the, the impressions and the value that comes with Hank Cherry's win 
it's not even near to what some 20-year-old kid on YouTube can do as far as exposing products to a target and a non-target market. Yeah. So therefore, the in my opinion, performance in bass fishing tournaments and the ability to excel in tournaments, it just doesn't have the value like it did 20 years ago. Yeah. And a lot of that is due to the fact that social media just reaches more people. Well, and it's so fast. It's ever-changing. You know, I, I've said this, you know, you look at Kevin Van Dam in 2010, 11, you know, when he was just wrecking everything. Well, back then, videos, you know, yes, there was Bassmaster on TV, there were, you know, on TV stations, but the YouTube and the different things like that wasn't that big. Right. So he wins a he wins a classic or he wins a tour event, whatever it is. You got in the magazine, you got put on TV. So you kind of captured a time frame, you know, a, a material amount of time when you do that. Fast forward to today, you can win a classic this week and then an eight year old catches a five pounder and they get four hundred thousand yeah. views on YouTube and it goes viral. You know, it, it changes so fast. And that was kind of where I was going a little while ago with that question is, you know, it's such an interesting demographic because, you know, owning a boat dealership, we have people come asking about sponsorship stuff all the time and things along those lines. And a lot of people that are watching, are, you know, are either pro level or aspiring to be mm -hmm. pro level, things like that. And, you know, the effort and where you put your time is a big, to me, it's a big deal. And and like you were saying on the social media content side of it, you can't, you can't compete I, I think it's hard to look at it and say, well, I'm going to go catch fish. I mean, how many people actually go catch fish and really make a living doing that? And that's, you know, bringing you on here, you've done, you've seen the evolution at the beginning mm -hmm. of your career in different times. That was an important thing. And mm -hmm. then now it's, it's completely changed. Talk a little bit about, you know, your YouTube and your station and what you guys are doing and what you're, what you're, you're, you know, what, what you are doing and how you're trying to get ahead of that curve mm -hmm. from that standpoint. Well, I got into YouTube late. I only I only got my channel going about a year and a half ago, simply because I'm just not tech savvy. I don't know how to do that. A lot <laughs> I of guys, a lot, <laughs> lot of guys started before I did. But and I, when I started my channel, I had no idea how it would be received. I mean, yeah. I didn't know if anyone would be interested in it. I don't know how didn't know how successful it would be. But I've sort of what I've sort of done in mine. I've just sort of tried to give everybody a feel of the, the of the reality of it, the real world, without sugarcoating anything, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people respond to that. They they a lot of people they 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 pick up on the polished presentation, the over promotion, trying to sell something all the time, mm -hmm. and I just try to give guys just the a down to earth, honest perspective of my viewpoint of fishing. You know, sometimes guys love it. Sometimes it makes people <laughs> mad. But that's just—I mean, that's. But anytime you have an opinion, that's going right. to. You're, you're and you've got a good following. How, I mean, how, what's your follower count? Do you? It's I'm, right at forty thousand now, close yeah. to forty on YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube, yeah, I got sixty thousand on Facebook. So yeah. So when you talk about a hydraulic or a hot foot versus <laughs> not a hot foot, it causes a ruffle yeah. feathers. <laughs> yeah, I always say I, I could give you guys my grandma's chocolate chip cookie recipe, and some guys would call me an idiot for doing <laughs> it. You know, there's there's you, and and that, that's one of the things. You know, you can't be all things to all people. I mean, you're always going to yep. have your naysayers. That's you just sort of have to ignore that. Yep. Yep. With with. 30, 40, 70, if you add them together, you know, whatever that number is, I'm sure you're going to get one or two. <laughs> yeah, you definitely. <laughs> or a lot. You definitely do. But it's been real cool because I've gotten to the fact, the point now where I enjoy doing that more than I enjoy fishing tournaments because yeah. you can actually, you can give something back and you can help teach people and then you get compensated for it at the same time. Yeah. So that gives you know, me and a lot of guys the incentive to share these secrets yeah. that we've kept to ourselves because... Mm -hmm. So much of the stuff I share on my YouTube channel, I didn't talk about forever because I thought it was going to give me a competitive advantage. Yeah. 
But if you can generate more <laughs> income through YouTube than you can through tournaments, you know, it's, and help people, it all equals out. You know? Yeah, that's very neat. It's, a, it, it's such a cool perspective, and that's, that's something that I think we lose, you know, just as, as a fan in my world, you know, as a fan of the sport. You know, you can, you can armchair quarterback all you want, but you lose perspective and the, the different lens that you look through, you know, your lens of that, how you see that, a lot of people wouldn't understand. And, you know, it, it's, a neat, it's a neat thing to hear and hear people talk about. Yeah, it's and the thing about it, man, I've done this for so long. I mean, I've 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 been in the trenches for so many years, and I've I've experienced the highs and lows and everything in between. So there's a there's a lot to share with that. I mean, it's yep. it's uh it's just never ending. I mean, it's literally forty years worth of yep blood, sweat, and tears. Truly, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. today, you know, we're, we're in a you know, in our, you know, the economy's doing good, boats are selling, products are selling, things like that. What is, what does two years look like? What does four years look like? Is, you know, bass, you know, we, everybody was worried there for a little bit, you know, everything has peaks and valleys, like you were saying, FLW kind of had its heyday and the bass had its and, you know, it's gone up and down. What do you think the next couple of years are going to look like from that standpoint? You know, I think a lot of the, you know, this, a lot of the tournament circuits we have now, a lot of it just depends on how long they can last as far as the funding goes mm -hmm. because I mean it costs money to run a circuit and all that type of stuff and and the way that tournament circuits are organized every one of them has a different mo business model as you know as far as what they want to achieve out of it I'm not so much concerned about the state of the tournament circuits as I am about the fisheries sustaining those circuits because mm -hmm. you know we're getting more anglers on the water every year the sports getting more popular and in order for us to have some type of a long-term sustainability from not only a business perspective in the industry, like what you're in, mm -hmm. but from a tournament uh, perspective, from a quality of fishing standard, we have got to really ensure that we protect our fisheries. Because yeah. if you don't have, if your fisheries are not sustainable and they're not productive and they're not quality, you're simply not going to have the interest in it. And as, as soon as we have a deterioration in the quality of fishing, then that's when you're going to see everything affected. You know, yep. your business will go downhill. Tournament businesses go downhill. It's to everybody's best interest to ensure that. And I think what happens a lot of time is that we get we we get sort of a a false sense of security that our lakes are doing really good because we have so many technological advances that allow us to become so good at catching fish that I don't know if we can really put a gauge on how good the fisheries really are or aren't. <clears throat> because what I always look at in a tournament situation is I don't care what it takes to win a tournament. I want to know what those pros, the bottom 25% of the, of the list mm -hmm. caught, because that's more in tune with reality. Yeah. Look at Lake Fork, for example, that Bassmaster. They, they took a 100 pounds to win it, but there were guys on there that had 12 pounds for two days, Elite Series guys. Even the Classic. I mean, that's what we were sitting there blown away way. for. Oh, it was unbelievable. So, You're looking at it this year, and it's like, yeah, the guys that caught them caught them, yeah. but, you, but there wasn't that many that really caught them. Yeah. And you look at fish catches and things right. like that, and, you know, it could be timing, it could be weather, it could be a lot of different well, things, but overall it's it's a big factor. Well, I think everybody needs to be aware of the fact that, you know, you hear all these big weights in tournaments and that type of stuff. I think so much of that is created from bait technology, electronic technology, but say, for example, let's go back to Table Rock Lake in 1970, mm -hmm. back when I first started fishing the lake. All we used back then were, like, plastic worms with spinners on them, big white hillbenders, yep. and you caught eight and nine pounders all the time on it. 
If you would go to a Tabor Rock right now with a white hellbender. You might get a spotted bass. Yeah, yeah, or or one of those hard plastic worms with a spinner on it. Yeah. You're not going to catch nothing. And those bass have not seen those baits for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you took a, 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 a mega bass jerk bait or a Kitex swim bait down there 50 years ago. <laughs> so I, I, I think that we really have to be careful about as far as, you know, protecting our fisheries becomes a number one priority from just an economic standpoint, if nothing else. There's a lot of other things attached to that, too. Yeah. But once that starts to go downhill, then the whole industry suffers. Yep. Yep. It, it's that's a very good point. So, well, let's get in. Today we're going to do an in-depth section, and what I want to do is really, really dive into something and help people out. So you were talking giving back, things like that. You know, kind of the premise of this podcast is, um, you know, we get you know, we get a lot of guys coming in and out of our shop. We have a lot of pros in the area, things like that, and I want to make sure that people know, you know, some, some of these secrets that you talk about and you know that you've learned over the years. I want to make sure, you know, our listeners get to hear some of that stuff. Today's not necessarily going to be a lure or a tech or a, you know, tip from that standpoint, but it's it kind of goes into what we were just talking about, but fish care. You know, it's summertime. It's getting hot. Oxygen levels are getting lower. There's a lot of different things. You know, I run around. I like fishing the northern, you know, Toyotas or Opens when I can and chasing brownfish. Yeah. You don't watch them like a hawk. They die, mm-hmm. flat out die. And there's a lot of places that are that way. You get down in a river and you get, you know, you're fishing shallow flats and you back up on a mud bank, suck some mud up through mm-hmm. your, you know, your bilge pump stuff. Um, on the live well of the aerators, you kill fish. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's simple as that. You know, I've done that. That's, you know, you, you learn when you mess it up. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's talk today about, you know, fish care, keeping them alive, doing stuff. What's what's kind of your go-to and how do you how do you do it? What do you think? What's your, you know, perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, a, a pretty good record as far as when it comes to fish care, not losing fish. I've lost very few fish in my whole career, and it's pretty simple. First of all, it's like, you know, it starts from the time you catch the fish. You know, when you get that fish in the boat, try to, especially in the warmer weather months, I mean, this is when we're really talking about it. The fish are a lot more sturdy in the wintertime, mm-hmm. but anytime you're talking about post-spawn particularly, that's when they're at the weakest points and through the summer where the oxygen levels are low. You know, when you get that fish in the boat, you know, keep it off the carpet. You know, don't do a fist pump with that fish flopping around on the boat before you put it in the live well. Try to keep it off the carpet. Get it in the live well. Get your aerators on manual. Never put them on auto. In my opinion, there should not be an auto option on a bass boat live well. It should be buy, manual. Buy, buy a bigger battery. Yeah, buy two. <laughs> you know, I always run two cranking batteries all do the time. Yep. I mean, I, I've been running two cranking batteries forever. Put that aerator on auto all the time. Make sure that when you make runs, you got adequate water that it didn't leak out. Mm-hmm. You know, take your time and slow down in rough water. Probably one of the biggest ways you kill fish is running too fast in rough water. You know, you'll lose scales. Those fish, you know, you know, it just kills them if you run too fast in warm, uh, rough water. I have experimented exclusively or extensively with fish additives, ice, that type of stuff. I have not noticed any type of correlation that it helps me out that much. Even ice. For mm-hmm. me, it's just a manual aeration on the live well. Make sure my aerators are always pumping. Make sure they're always full of water and they yep. don't drain out. And just pay attention to your fish. You know, don't put them in there and not look at them for three or four hours later. You know, yeah. keep an eye on them all the time. You know, if you make a run and you've lost five or six inches of water, put that motor in reverse, back up, fill it up like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to guess that... In my opinion, the three top things are keep those fish off the carpet, keep your aerators on manual, and slow down in rough water. Yeah. So I think those are 
three big things that kill fish. Yep. Yep. I know when we go up north, you know, the, the water, you know, the temperature deeper, you know, when you catch a deep fish, are you worried? You said you don't really worry about ice too much, things like that. When you catch a deep fish, do you fizz them? Do you not fizz them? Do you belly clip them? How, how do you keep those fish alive? Well, I mean, I am, I'm sort of on the fence as far as fizzing them. Cause I've mm-hmm. done both with that on there. I mean, I, you know, I think fizzing is if you don't know what you're doing with it, you can really hurt the fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know how to fizz a fish and I'll do it if I get a deep one like that. But mm-hmm. I think for the average angler, sometimes it's better not to fizz them. Yep. You know, if there's, you know, they'll, they'll still live belly up and let maybe the tournament officials take care of that. Cause yeah. they can fizz them when they get in. Yep. But I think you're talking about a pretty small percentage of those bass that need fizz, unless you're fishing, like I said, in certain situations mm-hmm. up there. But if you're if you're shown how to do it correctly and you know what you're doing with it, then yeah, I would say do it. But if if you're um, if you're not yep. real confident in your yep. technique, man, those belly clips were great. I've yeah. used those the last couple of years, and I've even put on my coal tag. I'll take like a catfish weight, and I'll just clip it on the tip of the cat, you know, on on my coal tag, and it keeps them nose down. I mean, yeah. just you know, I try to do simple stuff like that because I fish. You know, we live in Table Rock. You're mm-hmm. going to catch a you know, a fish on a jigging spoon in 40, yeah. 50, 60 foot of water. Even in those, like in the Toyota series this last year, I was catching my fish in 50, 60 foot mm-hmm. chasing shad. And, you know, I, I really, I put two or three belly clips on them and mm-hmm. it, it did, you know, I never had an issue with the fish. Yeah. I've never tried those. That's, yep. that's oh, they're awesome. Yeah. They really are. And, and one of my buddies that fishes the elites that fishes in the North, he just puts weights on his actual coal systems and it just keeps their nose down, mm-hmm. you know, and if you do that, then they're not flipping up on their, you know, flipping up on their back stuff. And I, I'm with you. You know, I've got buddies that they don't do nothing. They throw the fish in there, they leave them on all day, and they don't kill fish. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I think we overthink it, but it's also worth having a conversation about mm-hmm. to keep fish alive. Because like you said, if you one bad tournament in an area on a lake that's marginal as it is could really put a damper on, you know, fishing for the future. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, and there, that's why I've always been a big advocate is try to not have very many tournaments during the post-spawn because there's that, there's that window between, like, late May and – like the third week of June, mm-hmm. where that's just when the bass are, they're weaker at that point of the year than mm-hmm. any other time of year. So that's, uh, that's when a lot of the fish get killed yeah. during that period. Yep. Yep. So let's say you're down in Alabama fishing hot, hot, hot summertime. What do you do? Uh, fish care? Yep. Well, I, you know, for me, if I'm fishing shallow water, say if I'm, you know, flipping docks or flipping laydowns in mm-hmm. the back end like that, as long as I keep mud out of the aerators and Mm -hmm. long as i keep that water in fairly good condition i usually don't have any problem with them and that you know if they're if they're they're, if they're caught in the same water temperature that the live well's in yep you know i think if you catch them in deep water then move to shallow water you're going to have some some problems with that but again i just think the main thing is just to keep that aerator on manual all the time as long as that thing is pumping hard in there and keeping the oxygen and keeping the water circulated Mm -hmm. unless you have a fish that's stressed out or it's if it's been you know if it's bleeding or something like Mm -hmm. that i just haven't lost hardly any fish because of that i mean it's you probably don't do it but us mortal fishermen that uh pick up on it and the fish is 38 yards down the bank and they swallow the hook what do you what do you do in those situations oh i just yeah i just cut the line you know i don't i don't even i don't even put any pressure on the fish to try to unhook it like that because that's uh you literally just leave it be just as soon as you get it i'll leave it be and then sometimes if i am in a situation like that i'll take some mountain dew with me and pour Mm -hmm. it in the throat that will stop the it will stop the bleed and that will help out yeah but uh you know, normally, for, from what I've seen, if you lose a fish, you can tell pretty quick if you're going to lose it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's something about sometimes if you hook a fish in the tongue just right, yep. you know, there's just 
it's sort of a mortal wound, you know, yeah. and they're just not going to survive it. But um, it's, like I said, I, I can count, you know, just on I, on two hands how many fish that I've killed in 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's not very many at all. Yep. Like that. Yep. All right, Randy, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate yep. it. If you guys want to check out Randy's videos, posts, all sorts of stuff, check them out on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Intuitive Angling. Randy Blanket, Intuitive Angler, that'll find it. Mm-hmm. If you Google that most of the time or search it on those social media platforms, um, check out Baitworks. Check out Boatworks. We're in Baitworks studio today, so I appreciate them letting us use the studio and stealing it for a few minutes here and talking with Randy. So, um yeah, no, we appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. If you guys need anything, let us know.